everyone. This is episode 712 of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for the week of Friday, March 20th, 2020. I am your host, Mark Kuznez, and today I've got a, a fair amount of stuff to talk about. i got a, a decent selection of games, including Resident Evil 3. The demo came out a few days ago, I believe. The beta for the Resistance multiplayer mode. Is that what it's called? Resistance, I think? That is downloadable but not yet live maybe it's live later today friday I'm, I'm not sure but when i booted it up this morning it still wasn't live but in addition to that to have zombie army 4 deep sky derelicts all was awakening curse of the dead gods mystic pillars dragon hay fever and explosive jake a lot of games a lot of them are, are pretty good, too, so it's a, it's a, going to be a good show. But before all that, I want to get into a little bit of a PS5 versus Xbox Series X discussion. It's not going to be too long, I don't think, and it's not going to be too in-depth because I am not Digital Foundry. I am not the most tech-savvy person out there. Uh, I'm somebody who looks at things and I'm like, okay, that number's bigger. That must be better, right? And I know that's not always the case, but based on what I've read and heard and watched, I will give you the lowdown that I think is accurate. But I would implore anyone who's interested, who who hasn't already done this and, and seen what all this stuff is about to check out the actual blog posts, the actual videos. The PlayStation 5 did their architecture deep dive two days ago and Xbox Series X had a few, I don't want to call them influencers, but certain YouTubers get a, a hands-on experience with the system, including Digital Foundry, and Digital Foundry put up a video for both the Series X and the PlayStation 5, and I would highly recommend, above all else, is watching both of those videos. Ignore the PlayStation 5 video with Mark Cerny, because it is, so I'm just going to get right into it. That video that PlayStation promoted as an architecture deep dive, however they exactly worded it. It is a GDC talk, which means it is geared towards developers. However, while some people are like, you can't criticize it because it's it's meant for developers and it, it wasn't meant for consumers, they put it out there to consumers. They put it out there on their main Twitter page. They tweeted it out. They put it on their public YouTube page. And... Maybe this is just me being wrong and dumb, but I don't think developers are following the PlayStation Twitter account or going to the PlayStation YouTube page to get their information on what the new console is going to give them. I'm assuming they're all on email lists and that they'll get exclusive information that isn't meant for the public because, you know, they're developers and partners making games for the system and all that. And I think it would have made much more sense if this video was, instead of putting out there for the public to see, to just make it a private, unlisted video and then send it in an email blast, sure, it can make its way to the public. But if it does make its way to the public in that way, you'll have more so people being like, oh, look at these details that come out, or, or just do a blog post that gives the information, or do what Microsoft did and have somebody like Digital Foundry go into the, the information and 
provide it to to deliver it in a way that is much more digestible for quote unquote normies. Because uh, I, I found their video way more helpful in understanding exactly what uh, the PlayStation 5 has to offer and the benefits. Even though I kind of uh, got that, or I, I mostly got that from the, the PlayStation video. It was just very dry and kind of sleep-inducing because Cerny has a very, very calm, soothing voice that I think would be great for children's books. I, I think he'd be a great uh, ebook reader in general audiobook reader in general but the details came out for the most part i don't know if there's anything that we haven't learned spec wise for either system but essentially the xbox series x has a, a, a slightly faster cpu I, th I think the playstation 5 was clocked at about 3.5 gigahertz uh, which is variable and then the series x is 3.8 and then the GPU is uh, more, uh, there's a, more of a significant difference between the Series X and the PlayStation 5 in that you have the PlayStation 5 that comes in at about 10 teraflops, a little bit over, and then the Xbox Series X is at 12.15 or 2 teraflops. But the and and those are good points in Xbox's favor, but it's not all Xbox, you know, beating PS5. It, it seems that what the PlayStation 5 has really, what Sony has really focused on, is the SSD, the hard drive. It is significantly faster than the Xbox Series X hard drive. Uh, I think it's three times fast by by their like minimal speeds and then the the max speed would be over four times as fast as the minimum but i, I think the the xbox one can get up to f like five whatever a second and and the playstation one can go up to nine though they said in the in the cerny talk that with really good compression or optimization that it can get upwards to like 20 uh or 22 um and yeah, that is very impressive. And I, I'm imagining because when talking about it, this is the fastest hard drive currently available. There's nothing on the market right now at this very moment as fast as the PlayStation 5 SSD or NVMD, whatever it is called. I don't know shit about hard drives. I've never owned an SSD ever in my life. I mean, I guess there's one in the Apple... What is it? it's not MacBook, but the 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 iBook Air or whatever. I, I have an Air or I had an Air. I gave it to my dad. Uh, but the Air, I think that has an SSD. Uh, so that's the only time I've used an SSD. But I never ran games off it or anything, or, or used it for Photoshop or any kind of thing that I I think would make like I used it for Microsoft Word and stuff. I I don't think I'd see the benefits from it there. So. I don't know what it's like to use an SSD for gaming or anything like that. But um, the PlayStation 5 one is incredibly fast. And I'm assuming that's where the 
all the cost is going into their console, why there are certain components that are very expensive that are leading that are, that are making the console cost to make $450 as opposed to cheaper, given that some of the other components are a little bit weaker. Because uh, I'm very, I, I'm pretty sure they want to get it to a $400 uh, system. And I'm looking at the Series X as a $500 machine, uh, especially since they put the Xbox One X on sale for $200 brand new directly from Microsoft, if they're willing to sell that for 200 I think they're going to be willing to sell the Series X for 500 at launch. But um, another positive that is with a lot of caveats, though, is that unlike the Series X, the PlayStation 5 will not require proprietary hard drives. And I'm not sure if they mentioned how many bays they'll have for expanding the storage, if there's just the one to... to Put in an additional hard drive if there are more, but the PlayStation 5 won't require uh, proprietary hard drives. And the, the one that's in there in the system is 825 gigabytes, which is that's something that is crazy to me. People are already upset that you only get a terabyte with the Xbox One Series X, and you have to remember that with both the Series X and the PlayStation 5, these numbers one terabyte and 825 gigabytes. They are not that. That's just the raw storage. That's not including that the space which is allotted for the OS and all that kind of stuff. So both one terabyte and eight twenty five gigabytes. That's not the actual space you'll have for storing games and all that. Uh, so that's important to keep in mind. But the caveats with the PlayStation Five, while it's not proprietary like the Xbox Series X, and people are already assuming that the Series X hard drives are going to be significantly more expensive than third party things but we don't know that uh microsoft can continue to be aggressive and more consumer friendly and price them at what they would cost from anyone else doesn't mean it's going to happen but i want to hold out hope my, my hope would be for the series x the the one terabyte expandable memory card hard drive type of looking thing is that it would be 150 it could very well be more than that but i i would my guess would be somewhere in the lines of 150 to 180. I don't think they're going to want to put it at 200. Just my guess. And then with the PlayStation 5, the caveats with the hard drives you can put into it is, is that, one, it has to be at least as fast as the hard drive that is in the PlayStation 5. And as I said, there are currently none on the market that meet that speed. So at this point, there are no third-party hard drives that you could use in the PlayStation 5. Second, they have to be able to fit inside the PlayStation 5. So if they're, they're ergonomics, whatever, if they, if they don't align with the PlayStation 5, they're, they're just not going to work. They have to be able to fit, and they have to be at least as fast. And they're not going to be cheap either. That, that's one thing that everyone said, like, yeah, yeah great. You, you'll have more options than with the Xbox, but it's still not going to be cheap. And I am sh like it, it feels like... We're not making it proprietary, but it's almost proprietary. But they also said that they will be testing out hard drives and stuff like that in order to, you know, give people the information they need to say, like, this is one that works with the, basically like the seal of approval for hard drives. Like, this is an approved one that will work with the PlayStation 5 and so on. 
So, so those are the big differences. You have the PlayStation 5, which is definitely focused on the hard drive speeds, and Xbox, which is focused on just more raw power, I guess you'd say, while also having a pretty nice uh, SSD. Um, for me, like I was already going to get the Xbox because I'm invested in that ecosystem. I prefer the controller incredibly. Uh, and I am not somebody who really, and it could just be that I've never experienced it, but like, and I'm also looking at these two hard drives. They're both very, very fast. The PlayStation 5 one is just, you know, unfathomably fast at this point, given that it's the fastest thing on the market currently. I mean, when it comes out, it may not be the fastest thing on the market. And we don't know when these consoles are coming out yet. But low times for me have never been the biggest issue if they're 30 seconds or less depending on the game if it's a game where you're dying a lot and and loading for 30 seconds that could be uh, more of an issue like with a a souls game or or the like but i uh, i've never been that bothered by load times and again it could just be that i've never experienced playing these games that traditionally have longer load times on an ssd where load times are significantly reduced but again if the difference is load times on PlayStation 5 will be two seconds and on Xbox they'll be somewhere between six and eight seconds, I'm perfectly fine with those six to eight seconds uh, or that additional four to six seconds. That's fine by me. I don't, I don't need that. Uh, one question, because Cerny brought this up, is that you know the, with the speed of the hard drive, you know you do a quick turnaround in an area and everything will be loaded in right away uh, in terms of I guess textures and all that jazz and. and and objects and whatnot if that is something that is noticeably better on playstation over xbox that could be a big deal but i don't know if that will be the case um but yeah those are the big differences they also mentioned 3d audio for the playstation 5 which i don't know if there's a similar thing with the series x and i i'm not an audio aficionado i just i've never really cared about audio all that much it's just, it's not something that it concerns me. Um, so yeah, I, and it's more so because I look at all the expenses for things and I'm like, of all the things to spend my money on, whether it be the, the console itself or a TV or I don't know, a pair of headphones for online gaming stuff. It's just like a sound system is not that important. Like if I want to play a game and have good sound, I'll just wear a pair of headphones. Um and I guess the three audio affects that as well, but what, whatever. But the biggest thing for me that came out that basically said 100% I am not interested in the PlayStation 5 anywhere near launch is their information about backward compatibility. So for the last few months or so, people were really starting to believe that the PlayStation 5 was going to have full backward compatibility with all every generation of PlayStation, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, and PlayStation 4. And I always saw this as people trying to wish something into existence because when that patent, and and everybody was like, oh, there's this patent. But when that patent was initially discovered and people were talking about it, everyone just assumed it meant that the PlayStation 5 was going to be backward compatible with PlayStation 4 games. That was the 
the jump, the leap that people made. And then recently people started to believe, no, this, this means everything. And I would have loved that to be the case. But a part of me is kind of happy, given that I, I find PlayStation fanboys to be the fucking worst of all the fanboys. Uh, Nintendo fanboys can be annoying. And I think Xbox fanboys at this point are just so bruised and battered that they just don't ever say anything. Um, uh, but they announced... And then they updated it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the update off of the PlayStation blog because this is the, the part of the whole thing that was that led to the most confusion amongst people. Uh, and this is directly from the PlayStation blog post. Uh, Watch live for a deep dive into PlayStation 5 system architecture and how it will shape the future of games. Update. A quick update on backward compatibility. With all of the amazing games in PlayStation 4's catalog... We've devoted significant efforts to enable our fans to play their favorites on PlayStation 5. We believe that the overwhelming majority of the 4,000 plus PlayStation 4 titles will be playable on PlayStation 5. We're expecting backward compatible titles will run at a boosted frequency on PlayStation 5 so they can benefit from higher or more stable frame rates and potentially higher resolutions. We're currently evaluating games on a title to title basis to spot any issues that need adjustment from original software developers. In his presentation, Mark Cerny provided a snapshot into the top 100 most played PlayStation 4 titles, demonstrating how well our backward compatibility efforts are going. We've already tested hundreds of titles and are preparing to test thousands more as we move toward launch. We will provide updates of on backward compatibility along with much more PlayStation 5 news in the months ahead. Stay tuned. And the thing is, like, it, it seems like they're very slow to the, the backward compatibility game and that they still have a lot of work to do, whereas Microsoft said, I think it was last year, that, you know, we're putting a halt on adding any more games to 360 and original Xbox backward compatibility in order to focus on making sure that Everything that is currently playable on Xbox One will be playable on the next box, which is now the, the Series X. And it looks like PlayStation still has a lot of work to do to just make sure that all the games work. And the fact that when they've tested the top 100 most played games that most, almost all of them worked, it's, it's a bit alarming. Uh... And there was no mention of PS3, PS2, PS1. A lot of people were like, oh, there was even this space for the, the PS3, PS2, and PS1. And maybe they'll they'll save that for a later date. I find it hard to believe that they're going to save that for a later date. Like they just, they didn't, they weren't able to say it then. And they, they left this blank space in there. I, I just find people are still trying to keep their hopes up when it's just like your hopes are fucking gone. Um it's just like, because like, the original post had, lastly, we're excited to confirm that the backwards compatibility features are working well. We recently took a look at the top 100 PS4 tiles as ranked by playtime and we're expecting almost all of them to be playable at launch on PlayStation 5. With more than 4,000 games published on PS4, we will continue the testing process ex- and expand backwards compatibility coverage over time. I just like, that, that whole thing was just fucking mind-blowing. Because I, like, I wasn't expecting to see PS3, PS2, or PS1, but I was 
expecting full backward compatibility right off the bat from for PS4. But that doesn't seem to be the case. But yeah, yeah. The 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 real thing you should be taking away from these uh bits of new information about both consoles and I realized that I ended up going on way longer than I expected about it and I'm probably just sound like a moron who doesn't know what they're talking about. But the takeaway is that both systems are going to be great. They're going to be great. Whether you go with the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X, you're going to have a great console that is super powerful and is able to play games really well, really fast, and you're going to be able to play all or most of your games from this previous generation, which is great. Um, there are still questions, of course, pricing, uh, the, the release date for both consoles. You know, of course, Microsoft accidentally put up a Thanksgiving 2020 thing on their site, and then I, I, I guess they deleted that, and I don't, I'm not sure if they updated it with just holiday 2020, but I, I'm pretty confident that Xbox will still release this year. I don't know about PlayStation. I think there, it, it could be a big deal to have one release and not the other, but at the same time, if you have the Xbox Series X releasing this year for $500 and PlayStation is like, we're going to release next year in March for $400. I think people will be fine waiting uh, those five months or so to to spend $100 less, especially with the coronavirus and a lot of people being out of work and, and not having the funds for this stuff, though at the same time, things like this are, are things that people will still want to buy in, in these moments, in these situations. But, um, yeah, I am excited to learn more. I'd love to see some video at some point because the Series X reveal or the new new details that it was accompanied by gameplay is what really got me excited, uh, more so than I've been this entire time waiting for the next gen. Seeing Minecraft with ray tracing, which I've seen before in the past, but I think there was always a question if whether or not it would actually be playable or, or, or run on the next gen consoles because ray tracing is very demanding it is very very demanding and the the minecraft stuff i believe is very demanding as well as I, I think the the quake mod is very demanding but seeing it running on a, an xbox series x and how different it looks and and seeing that the difference between the two ver like I am so I'm so excited one for the next generation and so excited to actually play Minecraft. Uh, I've always wanted to get into Minecraft and when I first saw the ray tracing videos, I feel like it's been two years or so. I was like, I want to play this version. I will I will play this when this happens. But um, yeah, that's enough about all the PlayStation and Xbox stuff. Let's get into what I've been playing. So I tried the Resident Evil Three demo, beat it. Uh, it took me 20 minutes. Did not die. Uh, was a little annoyed that they don't have assisted mode in the demo because I wanted to. I wanted to see my dad give it a go. The 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 one thing that kind of bothered me that is maybe just me overthinking things or just trying to find things to not like about it was that it felt like the regular zombies were more bullet spongy than in Resident Evil 2 remake. But outside of that, I thought it was fantastic. That engine just continues to blow my mind with how fucking beautiful it is. I think that that engine, whatever it's called, is fucking gorgeous. 
and Resident Evil 3 looks fantastic. It's more Resident Evil, which is great. Uh, the Not the tyrant, what is his name? Nemesis is going to scare the shit out of me. There were moments in there when I was playing the demo that I was genuinely jumped because there were some dark areas that I forgot. I, I left zombies that I just ran past them. And yeah, it, it's very good. Download it now. Um, I'm not sure if it's timed like the Resident Evil 2 one and that you only have 30 minutes of playtime. So like I could maybe play through it and do 10 more minutes of it. Um, but uh, I, I had a really good time with it. There are a lot more zombies in the way this time. The The, the city looks great. Uh, and I'm excited to play it at some point. Well, all likelihood, I'm not going to be able to get it at launch at this point. But I'm, I'm excited to play it when I play it. And then after that, I'll finally give... I guess I'll, I'll jump to Code Veronica X. And then Resident Evil Zero. Or vice versa. And then Resident Evil 4. Who knows? But um, yeah, very very awesome game as as to be expected. Demo, awesome, awesome demo at least. Then there's Zombie Army Four, which is the sequel to the Zombie Army trilogy, which collected the first two games and then added a third campaign. But um, these games, the the Zombie Army games and the Sniper Elite games, I really like. But I think. I've realized with this game that I prefer the zombie army games because they're much more bite-sized. They're, they're, they're much more replayable. That, that's what they are. Um, you know, they are left for daddy in a sense. You have nine different campaigns with a handful of chapters each. It, it varies from campaign to campaign how many chapters there are. And it just, it, it feels really good. It looks good. You have a, a, I'm playing on the X. You have a performance and a quality mode. Quality mode, 30 frames per second. Performance mode, 60 frames per second. For, per second. Uh, I think in the quality mode, 30 frames per second, per second felt good. But uh, I had a lot of fun with it. The shooting feels really good. Uh, every time zombies would bust out of a wall, it, it would be exciting and, and, and cool. Uh, I think there's a lot of fun in, in terms of just minor set piece type things where explosions will happen and stuff like that, which, which makes it all exciting. Um, you earn XP, level up your weapons, and you can add mods to them uh, as you play more. Um, I, I thought that the horizontal sensitivity was a little bit off uh, with a controller, so I adjusted that. I put it down the 20 points, and it felt much tighter. It just felt pretty loose. Uh, on the horizontal axis but um looks good uh there are weekly events as well which forces you to play something like because uh, there's the campaign there's hard mode and then there's weekly events and the weekly event like the one that's happening right now will force you to play in horde mode on this specific map i believe is the venice map and you're locked to medium difficulty and it'll add some modifiers to it like uh, in this one, you have double the health, but you're constantly losing health. You gain more health using med packs or by doing takedowns if you have that perk activated uh, on zombies. And when you clear a round of enemies, then your health will be uh, refilled. And those are fun to do. You'll get a little bonuses if you complete them. Uh, and I, I just, I really like the game. It's, it's really fun. I think it, it's... 
a nice improvement over the last game. Uh, I found that the, the maps were a bit more fun to play through. And it's definitely a much more manageable game to play solo than, say, Call of Duty Zombies, which I've never found super manageable. It always felt like those are very, very geared towards co-op. And that playing them solo is... And it's more so that with the Call of Duty thing, it's like it's always the same map or maybe they have a few maps, but it's just like it's a map that constantly opens up as you progress further by killing zombies and gaining currency to then unlock doors with money or buy weapons with money, which is a I've never enjoyed that system. But with this, you're just progressing through a level and then you might hit a point where you have to kill all the zombies to open up the door like it'll put a little lock on a door and it's just like it's sort of like with a not Dante's Inferno Devil May Cry starring Dante from the Inferno who uh he's not from the Inferno but um where they'll they'll put you into space then they lock it and you have to kill all the enemies before you can progress um but I'm really liking the game a lot of fun great co-op uh you can adjust the the auto aim assist and stuff like that which is good for uh, someone like my dad who i played some with uh, and he likes it there's the the stamp of approval my dad likes the game and you know what that's all that really matters in the end i think if my dad likes it then i think the game's a real winner Um, but yeah zombie out reform is a lot of fun and i think i'm gonna hold off on finishing it so that I can make an excuse to put it out as a attack the backlog in the future and then maybe get some cooperative play in there and maybe get some uh, dad talk on an episode. I think that would be kind of fun and silly. Then we have Deep Sky Derelicts, which is a game that I think came out on PC in 2018 and has now just made its way to Xbox One and probably other consoles. Now I'm playing on Xbox One. It was in early access, so it may have just hit 1.0 or something recently. I'm not exactly sure about that. But uh, I played on Xbox One, and it is a roguelike thing where you... It's card-based combat, and you're exploring dungeons. Um, It has a very kind of... It's weird for me to say this having not played it, but it has a very darkest of dungeons or darkest whatever, darkest dungeons uh, vibe to it. Um, It has this really great uh, comic book presentation and great visuals. I really like the look of it. But you're exploring dungeons, taking on missions, and it's all energy-based. So you'll start off when you initially boot up a a playthrough with a 1,000 energy. And when you're exploring a ship a dungeon if you want to call it that Um, because this is all in space and you're a group of mercenaries you have three on your team and you can upgrade them you can um, add uh, implants to them and stuff like that to make them better or you can hire new mercenaries from uh, one of the shops Uh, I think the mercenary hub over at the the space station but you you go to these other spaceships on missions and each movement costs a bit of energy and then when you're in combat each action costs some energy so energy is this constantly depleting resource that you refill with consumables 
or by doing certain missions on a space station. So the, the initial space station, there was this robot or whatever who wanted junk to clean. And whenever you deliver some of that to him, he would provide you with uh, some energy to allow you to keep exploring. Um, but you'll, you'll run into things to loot, enemies to fight. And the combat, the, the card combat system is pretty solid. It's pretty simple and straightforward uh and i i enjoyed it i enjoyed the combat I, I i like a lot about the game i think there's a lot in it that could really hook me in and have me uh playing this game for a, a long while i'm definitely going to go back to it and play some more uh you know you you obtain your missions from the lair um and you you can refill so the one thing is when you you leave the spaceship and return to the space station you're Energy doesn't automatically refill. It's not like you, you return to the space station. It's like a gas station as well, and you don't have to worry about that or that the health of your your mercenaries refills. You'll have to, before you go out again, go to the pawn shop to refill your energy, uh, and you can also buy and sell goods there. You'll have to go to the medic to heal any of your mercenaries who may be weakened because the way combat works is that you have shields and... Shields will replenish between fights. So after you finish a fight, the shields will replenish. Health will not. So if you have a, a player who, or a mercenary who doesn't have a shield, any damage they take will not be healed until you, you know, I, I'm sure there are consumables as well, but, you know, go to the medic bay and heal them there. But uh, anyone who has a shield and doesn't take damage to anything other than their shield, they'll be fine, and then their shield will refill automatically. But, um... I, I really like it. I, I think it's a, a pretty solid little game. That it, it's something that is easy to just play here and there in little bite-sized chunks. It's it's a great game to just play every now and again. So um, yeah, and that, that was Deep Sky Derelicts. Then uh, All was awakening. Awakening. <laughs> All was awakening, which. Every time I look at it, I would just want to say almost awakening. I feel like Alma was the, the little ghost girl in uh, Fear, but I'm not sure if that was her name. But Always Awakening is an NES time game, Metroidvania. Uh, tell me if you've heard that before. But uh, it feels really good. I, I really like it. I was surprised by how much I was enjoying it. Um, Screens feel like Mega Man, where like you're, you're climbing a ladder and then transitioning to the next screen, and it just the, the transition between screens feels very Mega Man-esque. Like, there's a lot of like little touches from this NES game and that NES game and, and this other. And, like, they, they throw in a lot of stuff and put it in there, and it, it all comes together to feel really good. The, the jump, and this may sound weird, your jump feels kind of like a bunny, but, but really good. Like, like really, really good. I, I love the jump in this game. Um, you have free movement the second you jump. Even if you're stationary, you know, which is different than La Milano, that annoyed me. So once you are just even the, the smallest bit uh, off the air, you can move your character to, to finally adjust where you want to go. Not slippery at all. So jumping on these little platforms, where you'll, which you'll do a lot in, like little just blocks, uh, is very easy to do and accomplish. You know, the, the jumping is just very, very tight. You just have like, you kind of look and sounds like a bunny, especially the audio. I think maybe if the audio wasn't, super bunny like i wouldn't think oh i'm like a bunny you're not a bunny though 
Um, there are light puzzles in it that aren't too difficult, but still rewarding in a, a simple way. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am very, very pleasantly surprised by Owl's Awakening. I didn't know what to expect from it. I thought, you know, probably be good, but I, I really, really like it. Uh, very generous with the save rooms and the combat feels good enough. You just have to like, have a basic wand thing that you eventually will be able to upgrade. Like you'll you'll find upgrades. Like the first one you find is something that allows you to put blocks um, to create blocks to allow you to reach new areas. Um, but uh, I, I'm I'm really really liking it. Pleasantly surprised by that. Then um we have. Curse of the Dead Gods, which is an early access game on Steam. And this is a roguelike with Diablo-esque isometric action RPG combat with a heavy focus on attacking and dodge rolling. You pay attention to your stamina. Uh, paying attention to your stamina is very important. And you make your way through this dungeon uh, very much so like Slay the Spire with branching paths that may give you new relics, gold, stats, weapons, or a breather room where you can heal yourself in exchange for sending yourself closer to another curse. And that's the thing about Curse of the Dead Gods. As you progress, your curse meter, or whatever it's called, keeps filling up, and every time it does, you obtain a new curse. For instance, during my playthrough, I lost the ability to see enemies unless they were shrouded in light or being actively attacked. These curses spice uh, spice up the gameplay and, and make every run feel like its own thing and, and makes every run fun. Uh, it may get old fast because I don't know how many curses are currently in the game. It seems to be pretty early, uh, but the core mechanics feel really good. I really like the combat. I love the look of it. It kind of looks like if you took the aesthetic and style of Darkest Dungeons, what is that? I hope it's Darkest Dungeons, not Darkest of Dungeons. Whatever it is, you know what game I'm talking about. But if they took that aesthetic and just made an isometric Diablo-esque game from it, that's how it looks. But um, I really like the way it plays. Uh, I like the way it looks. And the systems that are currently in there, uh, where the, the curse system and, and other stuff... I really like so like when you when you get to the, the like I mentioned that this curse meter or whatever when you get to a health spot you'll you'll get to a fountain and it's like do you want to sacrifice yourself more towards a curse for like 200 health and you can keep doing this as many times as you want to completely refill your health but of course you'll eventually get another curse and, and sooner depending on how much health you get um, yeah I don't know what else to say I really like it runs well feels great with a controller and if that sounds like your jam maybe worth checking out but just know that it is an early access game there's not much there right now i'm not sure how much it costs and, and if it's one of the early access games where it's cheaper now than it will be at launch i feel like that should be i mean there's no way to force that but i feel like any good dev should charge less than what they plan to charge at launch uh, for an early access game because you're basically charging people for a game that is incomplete and for them to be kind of beta testers um you know people don't have to co not commute <laughs> what am i thinking of 
I don't know. I don't even want to think about it anymore. Uh, moving on. Mystic Pillars is a Mancala-esque puzzle game where you have a certain number of pillars and uh, an objective as to where to place your jewels. The Mancala similarities come in how you transport the jewels. While not exactly like Mancala, you can only transport as many jewels as a pillar is far away. So if a pillar is two spaces away from the pillar you're transporting the jewels from, you can only transport two jewels, even if you have more available. That's pretty much it. I played through a dozen or so levels and really enjoyed it. It's got a nice look to it, uh, and it does have partial controller support, but it's, it feels vastly superior with the mouse, so I would highly recommend not playing with a controller if you, you look at, look at, look up the game and you're like, oh, this seems like something I might be interested in. Um, uh, there, there's a story, and they really play up like, oh, there's a really great story here, but it didn't do much for me right off the bat, uh, and I kind of checked out immediately, uh, just skipping through it. But maybe there's something there. I don't know. Um, then we have Dragon, uh, which is a walking simulator thriller horror type of thing. You're a guy who's looking for his sister, but when you reach this town, which I believe is called Gravik, you find out that the entire town is missing as well. Uh, and you're trying to figure out what happened while also surviving at the same time. There's solid voice acting and visuals, um, contextual dialogue choices. Uh, so you can you get a little description of a, a dialogue choice before confirming it. So like you'll, you'll be talking to one of the characters or basically just this character, Lissy, who's your partner and a little bit annoying and she likes calling you teddy bear. And I'm just like, fucking shut up at times and she she's just very rambunctious and crazy like she's just like oh i'm gonna climb this tree why because whatever she's 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 a wild one i guess whatever um but when you're talking about something with her then you'll see a few words pop up near her it's like oh my sister oh the town oh this and when you press the button that corresponds to one of those dialogue options it'll then give you a brief description of what this thing is and what it means or whatever and then holding it will allow you to pursue that uh dialogue uh, tree or whatever um i was worried at first that there was no way to run because at, at the beginning you could only walk and i was forced to walk up this stupid mountain and it took me like three minutes maybe more to just walk up this mountain i'm like i fucking i do not want to just walk like no walking simulator should be literally that. That is just walking. Because walking is just, it gets old real fast. But I find that it's a little bit annoying navigating the world and that you have to interact with anything to move, like a, a, a little log on the ground that is maybe six inches above uh the ground you have to interact with it press a button in order to walk over it and, and I, I find stuff like that pretty annoying uh, it's, it's got a good atmosphere and an intriguing story um, and I, I'm curious about playing more but I ran into an issue where I was at the general store trying to find a key to open up this room and I swear I Interacted with everything that possible to interact with, and I just could not progress. I don't know if it was a bug or if I just missed something, but I even looked up a guide, and 
what it told me to do. I expected I needed to do, but it's like one of the things it said was a, a point of interest were the shelves on the side of the, the general store. I'm like, I can't interact with these. It's not letting me. And I know that. And apparently the keys are in the cash register. And I looked at the cash register when I first walked in. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I have to interact with this. I can't. It won't let me. I can't find anything else to interact with this thing. I spent like 10 minutes trying to interact with stuff in there. Then I quit out and thought like a reset. And then it, I lost a fair amount of progress. And you can't really skip things like with the characters talking. Um, so I got frustrated. I'm going to watch a video probably at some point to see somebody go through that and see what the fuck I missed. And if I did miss something or if it's just some kind of weird bug. Like, that is what killed my current interest in the game. Uh, whether it be a bug or just the game being stupid and not very obvious or, or something. I don't know. But um, there, there are good things in it, but I, I think it's a little bit rough around the edges. Um, Explosive Jake is a game that is very much so like Bomberman. You're a skeleton going through these dungeons, avoiding traps and enemies, uh, like spinning blades, fireball shooting things, knights and ghosts and uh, so on. And you, you drop bombs to explode barrels and stuff to find keys in order to open doors and to find doors. And they'll also kill enemies at the same time. You can't destroy traps, I don't believe. Uh, but the, the biggest issue I have with the game that makes it incredibly frustrating and makes me not want to keep playing it because I, I like the idea of it um, is that the hit detection seems way too sensitive uh, with enemies and traps killing me when it doesn't even look like they're touching me. Like like if I'm just like my little toe is in the same square as this object, even though visually like the, the spinning blade is just in the middle, but it, you know, interacting with the where the blade is, if, if, if it's that square and I touch that square, even though you don't see the blade and my character connecting that, that leads to death. That's what it feels like. I'm not sure if that is exactly the case. But in my time with the game, that is exactly how it feels like. And I hate that. That just is incredibly annoying and frustrating. Um, and then on top of that, which makes me feel like that probably is the case, is that dropping bombs seems very finicky as well, where you have to be right in the exact uh, right place in order to place a bomb. So you have to be like in the middle of a, a square. You can't just be you know, halfway through a square or three-fourths of the way on a square, and then I'll know, okay, you're you're mostly on this square, so I'm going to place a bomb on this square. It's like, no, get your fucking ass in the middle of that square and drop the bomb. And that was also annoying. I, uh, I feel like there could be a really good fun game, uh, fun puzzle game in Explosive Jake, but mechanically it's a little screwed up as it stands. Um, then hay fever is where you play as a mailman who needs to recover all the mail you sneezed away. You're a mailman, you, you sneezed, uh, and then you blew all the mail away. Uh, and it's a platformer where you're collecting mail, uh, and, and what makes it or, or gives it its unique thing is that, um, well, first and foremost, it needs to be played with a D-pad. Playing it with an analog stick is way too imprecise, and, and even with a D-pad, it can be a little problematic at times, but it's significantly more playable with a D-pad. But the way it works is that throughout the levels, um, 
they're sprinkle they sprinkle these these clouds in there you you have a basic jump and then a, a double jump in the sense of like a, a little boost a a a thing where you can sneeze essentially and give yourself a little boost at any given time but these clouds that are sprinkled throughout a level will fill your sneeze meter which allow you to either jump very long distances if you fill up your meter uh you have three slots to fill up your space um or if you're jumping and you do a little sneeze jump to get that double jump and then hit a cloud, that'll reset your your sneeze jump. And then you can do another one. And then if you hit another cloud, you can do it again. So you can build up these chains of jumps through these clouds uh, with your little sneeze jumping. Um, and it, it's it's a pretty fun mechanic. I just wish that the game felt a little tighter control-wise, because it does feel, even with a D-pad, like I said, a little bit loosey-goosey and not always as responsive as I would like, where I'd die a, a bunch of times. And I'm like, I just, why why is my sneeze jump, or whatever they actually call it, why is it not working? Um, and that, that was a little bit frustrating. But I, I do like it overall, and I, I would like to play some more of it. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it in terms of what I've been playing. And I think that's a good uh, place to end it because I also have nothing else to talk about. And this podcast ended up going on way longer than expected. And I want to start cooking my dinner because uh, it's late. I hope everyone's you know staying healthy and safe and doing their best to keep staying in these times. Um, I, ho- I hope you're not being a crazy person buying too much toilet paper than you need because you, you don't need as much as you think. Um, I mean, everyone needs toilet paper, but it's just like... that. I mean, that's the thing. Everyone needs toilet paper. You don't need fucking so much goddamn toilet paper. You also don't need water. Is there any report where they're saying the, the, all the water's contaminated? Why are people buying so much goddamn water? What the hell's wrong with people? I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, today was uh, the first time I've ever seen the vegetable section of a, a grocery store cleared out, which is weird. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I just hope everyone listening and those not listening, which is the majority of people, uh, are are staying safe, safe, staying healthy. You know, I hope everyone financially is doing okay. Um, but yeah, this is a a very weird time, and uh, it's just like a day by day thing. I I don't know. I don't know where to go with this, so I'm just gonna add the the podcast. Anywho, once again, I am your host, Marcus Nez. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at PX Sauces. The site is of course pixelatedsauces.com, where you can find this podcast and Attack the Backlog, both of which are available on podcast services across the globe, like Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify and Pandora. Uh, if you'd like to check out the video version of Attack the Backlog or other videos I do, I, I, I just posted a new Indie Games Roundup video, um, you can go over to youtube.com slash sauces and watch them there. If you'd like to check out the art I make, you can go over to pxsart.com. If you see something you like, click the link and it'll take you to where you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And I know that at this time, buying art is probably the last thing on people's minds, so completely understandable. But if you see something you like, you know, click it. 
and you, you, you might fancy it. And if you fancy the site in general and anything we do, please go over to patreon.com slash PXS and support us that way. Any little bit does help. Uh, you know, it doesn't need to be a fortune, of course. Uh, just uh, whatever you feel comfortable. If you, if you feel comfortable, if you like the stuff and you're like, I want to support this person and the other stuff that they do. Uh, yeah, that will really do it. Uh, so thank you again for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoy this here episode and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day and an absolutely lovely weekend. Bye.